Good morning. I am super excited about today's message because it's on a subject I'm incredibly passionate about. I absolutely love the subject of the fear of the Lord because it's the answer to every problem we have in this world. Now think about that for just a minute. It's the answer to every problem we have in this world. If there was a real fear of the Lord, there would be no poverty. There would be no pride. There would be no greed. There would be no hate. If there was a real fear of the Lord, there would be no corruption, sexual immorality, pedophilia, human trafficking, idolatry, selfishness, wickedness, jealousy, lying, stealing, abortion, murder, physical or mental abuse, drunkenness, or even gender confusion. If there was a real fear of the Lord, then there would be no room for evil. But unfortunately, when you look at America and much of the world today, this is exactly what you see. You see evil in more ways than we can even imagine. Why? Why is that? Because there is no fear of the Lord. This is the root of every problem, every failure, every fall, and every sin. There is no fear of the Lord. But living in the fear of the Lord is the only way for us to live. So then why do we hear so little about it? Could it be because it's not politically correct? Could it be because we're too consumed with ourselves? Could it be because we don't really take God's word seriously? Or could it be because it makes us uncomfortable? Listen, one of the pillars that this church is built upon is that we reject cozy Christianity. And there is unfortunately way too much coziness in Christianity today. How can I say that? Because when you study statistics comparing the people in the church versus the people outside the church, there is actually very little difference between them and how they're living their lives. Now this is a very strong indictment against the church. But the church should be influencing the world instead of the world influencing the church. That's the bottom line. And if the church were living in the fear of the Lord, as the Bible so clearly teaches us, what an amazing, powerful, and thriving church we would be. That was the church in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9, verse 31 says, So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. So what makes the church stronger and causes it to grow is living in the fear of the Lord because it's the only way for us to truly live. And it's the remedy to fix what's wrong in and out of the church. Because it's the fear of the Lord that leads us to repentance. It's the fear of the Lord that leads us away from evil. It's the fear of the Lord that leads us to the feet of Jesus. And it's the fear of the Lord that keeps us focused on what's most important. Becoming holy as He is holy. Let's pray. Father, I thank You that You are a holy God. And you, you are surrounded right now in heaven by those who would utter the words, holy, holy, holy.
holy. Not just once, but three times. That's your completeness. That's your holiness. That's how amazing that it is. And Father, as we learn and study the fear of the Lord, I just pray for an outpouring of your spirit into our lives that we would walk this out. This wouldn't be theory. This would be how we live. The Bible encourages us to live in the fear of the Lord. And so, Father, today is all about how we do that. And I just invite you here to speak directly to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, our study in this Living in the Fear of the Lord message series has been focused primarily on answering the what, the why, and the how for the fear of the Lord. In week one of this series, we answered the question, what is the fear of the Lord? In week two of this series, we answered the question, why is the fear of the Lord important? And last week on Father's Day, we even had a bonus message on the fear of the Lord as we talked about how the fear of the Lord in Psalm 128 is the answer for men today on how to live the abundant life that Jesus promises us in John chapter 10, verse 10. And last week, we also got practical for men on how to live out the fear of the Lord in their lives. We've got to model it by loving, listening, and leading. Actually, last week was a bit of a preview of what we're going to dive into today. Today, we're going to answer the question, how do I fear the Lord in my everyday life? But before we do that, let's quickly review what we've covered together over the last couple of weeks in this series. In week one, we answered the question, what is the fear of the Lord? And we did this by exploring the scriptures together because the Bible has a lot to say about the fear of the Lord. It's the foundation of knowledge and wisdom. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's the knowledge of God himself. It's the key to the treasure of God, his salvation, his wisdom, and his knowledge. It's to be in awe of him. It's to worship him. It's a strong confidence, security. It's a fountain of life. It's to hate evil. It's to depart from evil. It's to hope in the Lord. It's to trust in the Lord and it's the manifestation of the Spirit of God. All of these came right out of the scriptures that we studied together. In week two, we again dove into the Bible together, and we let the Bible speak for itself on answering the question, why is the fear of the Lord important? So why is it important? Well, for starters, we were commanded to do it. We were commanded. Now, the Bible doesn't stop there. It also says we will be rewarded. We will be defended. We will be blessed. We will be loved. We will be secure. We will be stronger. We'll have joy. We'll have all we need. And because it pleases him. Once again, all of these came right out of the scriptures. So today, I've promised that we would get very practical by answering the question, how do I fear the Lord in my everyday life? We've talked about the what and the why. Today is all about the how. How do I fear the Lord in my everyday life? Well, I have two very simple words to answer that question. Obey Him. Obey Him. That's how we fear the Lord in our everyday lives. We obey Him because we obey who we fear. You see, the entire essence of the fear of the Lord comes down to our obedience. Actually, if you were to ever ask me to sum up the fear of the Lord in one sentence, 
Here's what I would say. I would say the fear of the Lord is reverence that results in obedience. It's reverence that results in obedience. We can have reverence, but if it does not result in obedience, then we're not living in the fear of the Lord. That's the simple truth. If there is no obedience, then there is no fear of the Lord. King Solomon was the wisest man who had ever lived. But he also made some incredibly bad mistakes. It was his loss of the fear of the Lord that led to those mistakes. In writing the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon writes about the meaning of life. He had experienced it all. He had everything a man could ever want. And then we get to the very last couple of verses in the very last chapter of the book. And it's there where he sums up everything he has just written about. Now let's look at this together. It's in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 through 14. You've got your Bibles. I'd encourage you to turn there now. And if you don't, we've got Bibles here up on the shelf that you are welcome to borrow. You can follow along up on the screen. I'll have the scripture up there. Or you can follow along on your mobile device. Whichever way you choose, that's fine. I just, I just want you to be with me as we go through this uh, in the Bible together. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. King Solomon, he says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Everything is summed up right here. This is the meaning of life, the whole duty of man. Fear God and keep his commandments. God sees everything, every secret thing. And we will one day have to give an account for everything in our lives. That's the truth. The wisest man who had ever lived, who had everything a man could ever want. He had experienced it all, and he sums up the entire meaning of life right here, verse 13. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. This is for all humanity. This is our entire purpose and meaning in life. Fear God and keep his commandments. Now, does that sound cozy? Does that sound cozy? No, not at all. Perhaps that's why we don't hear enough about the fear of the Lord. Oh, it's easy for the church to dismiss this because it's not comfortable at all. There is nothing cozy about the fear of the Lord. But that doesn't change its significance whatsoever. The truth is the truth, no matter how inconvenient or uncomfortable it may be. Let me just give one simple example from Scripture to illustrate this. God made a promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 that he would bless him and make him into a great nation. In verse 3 of chapter 12, he said, All the families on earth will be blessed through you. This is quite a promise. And the only condition on the part of Abraham was to simply obey God. In chapter 13, God renews his promise to Abraham and tells him in verse 16, I will give you so many descendants that they cannot even be counted, just like you cannot count the dust of the earth. But there was a problem that challenged Abraham. He had no children of his own. And his wife Sarah was unable to have children herself. She was barren. 
And when Abraham asked God about his promise and not having any descendants, God told him in Genesis chapter 15 to look up into the sky and to count the stars if he could, because that's how many descendants he would have. Now, let's fast forward 25 years, because that's how long Abraham had to wait to have his son Isaac, who would begin the fulfillment of God's promise to him. Abraham was 75 years old when he received the promise from God. And he was 100 years old when Isaac was born. 25 years he had to wait for God's promise. That ought to smack us all in the face when we struggle with waiting on God. Man, many of us struggle with waiting for 25 minutes, let alone 25 years. We live in such a microwave culture that wants everything right now. Now, we don't know how much time passed when Isaac was born to the next major thing that God asked Abraham to do. The Bible simply says, sometime later. Some commentators would say that Isaac was a teenager by this time. We don't know for certain. For certain, Only the Bible just says, sometime later. Then God tested Abraham's faith by asking him to sacrifice his son Isaac as a burnt offering. I mean, can you imagine? This is the son that he waited faithfully for for 25 years to finally have with his wife Sarah. This was the son that the promise that God had given him would come through, this son. And God's now telling him, hey, I want you to sacrifice him as a burnt offering. But if you read the story, you'll notice that Abraham didn't object. He didn't whine. He didn't complain. He obeyed instantly. The Bible says he got up the next morning and set out for the land of Moriah, exactly as the Lord had told him to. He took two servants. He took his son Isaac with him. And it took three days to get to where God had told him specifically to go. That is a lot of time to think about what the Lord had just told him to do. Many of us would have been saying, this doesn't make any sense. But listen to me. Obedience to God's commandments doesn't have to make sense. We don't have to understand in order to obey. We obey out of faith, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it hurts, even if we don't see what good could come from it. This is exactly what Abraham did. And it's why you and I can read about him in Hebrews chapter 11 as one of the great examples of faith. He obeyed God by doing exactly what God told him to do. He traveled three days to the specific location where God told him to sacrifice his son. He built an altar. He laid wood on top of it to burn. And then he tied up his son Isaac, and he laid him on the altar too. Abraham then picked up his knife to kill his son as the Lord had instructed him to do. And at the very last moment, as Abraham is ready to kill his son, the angel of the Lord speaks up, and here's what he says in Genesis chapter 22 verses 11 through 12. He says this, Abraham, Abraham, don't lay a hand on the boy. Do not hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. For now I know that you truly fear God. Powerful words right there. It was Abraham's obedience that demonstrated his true fear of the Lord. You see, God tested Abraham's faith. And the only way for Abraham to pass this test was through his obedience. And it was obedience that proved he had the fear of the Lord. And it's no different for us today. 
We have God's instructions on how we're to live our lives right here in the Word of God. And we simply need to fear God and keep His commandments. And we've got to obey all the way through. We must obey to completion. Abraham could have rationalized his way out of it. He could have said, Surely not my son, not my only son, Isaac. Perhaps you meant Ishmael. What about him? Or what about taking me instead? Why can't, why can't I serve as the burnt offering? Why would you take my son? Abraham could have come up with all kinds of excuses to try and rationalize his way out of what God commanded him to do. But no, he followed through all the way through because that's how to fear the Lord. We obey him and we obey him all the way through. Now, if we look at the story of King Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 15, you're going to see a stark contrast between Abraham's obedience and King Saul's disobedience. Unfortunately, I don't have time to unpack all of Saul's story here, but here's the lesson. Partial or selective obedience is still disobedience. Partial or selective obedience is still disobedience. If we fear him, we will obey him. And we will obey him by following his ways and not our ways all the way through. Which means we don't cherry pick what we want to obey. When we properly fear the Lord, we obey what God says we are to obey, regardless of any other influence, especially our own preferences. Saul's problem was that he feared man more than he feared God. And oh, how many of us do that very same thing today? We're more concerned about what others think than what God thinks. We're people pleasers instead of being God pleasers. The whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. That means God comes first. And when we properly fear him, we will not fear anything or anyone else. We should never fear man. As a matter of fact, Jesus drives this home in Matthew chapter 10, verses 28 through 30. He makes this really clear. Here's what he says. Don't fear those who kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. But even the hairs of your head have all been counted. When we fear the Lord, we obey the Lord. When we fear the Lord, we fear nothing and no one else. Why should we fear anyone else anyway? They cannot touch our soul. Only God is the keeper of our soul. He is the only one who can destroy both our soul and body in hell. Now, I love what Oswald Chambers says. This is how he puts this. He says, the remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Oh, how true that is. We should never fear anything else other than God. Nothing in this world happens without his consent. Even the very hairs of our head are numbered. That's how much he loves us. And while God is love and he's full of mercy and grace, he's also completely holy. And he hates sin. Why? Why does he hate sin? 
because it's the complete opposite of his nature. We were created in his image and we are to be holy because he is holy. And there's nothing more important for our holiness than the fear of the Lord because it's the fear of the Lord that actually perfects our holiness. It's the fear of the Lord that keeps us from sin. Now, the word holy, it means to be set apart. And you might be thinking to yourself, set apart from what? From sin. Holy means to be set apart from sin. Now, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the power of sin is broken. We're no longer in bondage to it anymore. It's kind of like being in a cage. Think of it being like in a cage. You're in bondage to sin. Sin's got you trapped, and the door's locked. And because of what Jesus has done on the cross, that door's now open. You're not in bondage to it anymore. You don't have to stay in that cage. You can come out and be free because of what Jesus did on the cross for you. But that does not mean we're instantly holy. You see, being holy is a process. And there's a fancy word for this process. It's called sanctification. If you're a child of God, then you're going through this process right now. You are being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And so you could say that becoming holy is the process of purging sin from our lives. It's getting rid of it. And becoming holy is both a work of God and of you. You have a responsibility in this too. And so what is that responsibility? It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Here's what Paul says. He says, Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. So many of us need to hear this today. Are we careful about what our eyes see? Are we careful about what our ears hear? Are we careful about what we allow into our thoughts? Cleanse ourselves from all of it. How do you do that? By perfecting holiness in the fear of God. It's the fear of the Lord that perfects holiness, meaning that's what brings holiness to completion. How do you become holy? Fear the Lord. Because the fear of the Lord is what drives sin out of our lives. It's what keeps sin away. And let me illustrate it this way. The fear of the Lord is like the wall of an, of an incredibly large dam that holds back millions of gallons of water. And as long as I have the fear of the Lord, then I'm safe from sin. But as soon as I start to lose my fear of the Lord, it's like this dam gets a crack in it and water starts to creep in. And if I don't regain the fear of the Lord, then that dam's going to break. And then all the water comes crashing down. And that's the moral failure of sin. We have to be living in the fear of the Lord. And how we live in the fear of the Lord is by obeying the Lord. This sounds so simple, doesn't it? Fear the Lord, obey the Lord. <laughs> it sounds so simple then why don't we see many people living in the fear of the Lord? I really believe it's because we as a society as a whole have just gotten too comfortable. We're too casual when it comes to our relationship with God. I love how my pastor from Florida would say this, Pastor Henry Jones. I love that man. 
He's been preaching the word of God, I don't know, over 50 years now. He'd say something like this. Casual Christians become Christian casualties. Unfortunately, we see this a lot. We cannot be casual in our relationship with the Lord. There is no such thing as being casually committed with the Lord. No, His holiness demands full and complete devotion. We can be casual or we can be committed, but we can never be casually committed because casual Christians become Christian casualties. Now let me stop for a minute and give a couple of examples. In Leviticus, we read about what happened to Nadab and Abihu when they were casual about their relationship to God and what God had told them to do. They were the sons of Aaron, nephews of Moses, and they were tasked with how to administer the burnt offering on the altar. God had given them very specific instructions in Leviticus chapter 6. And then we get to Leviticus chapter 10. We read that they disobeyed God and did not follow what God had commanded. As a result, God burned both of them up with fire right there on the spot. Nadab and Abihu did not have the fear of the Lord because if they had had it, they would have obeyed. Because that's how we fear the Lord. We obey Him. Now, some of you may be thinking, come on, Ian, that's the Old Testament. God's not like that now. He's a God of love. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. And once again, I would say, yes, you're right. He is. Amen to all of that. But He's also a holy and just God. And His holiness demands our obedience. He's the exact same God in the New Testament as he was in the Old Testament. Let me prove it to you with the second example. And this second example comes from the New Testament. Ananias and Sapphira were members of the early church when it was thriving. Acts chapter 4 tells us that all the believers were united in heart and mind. They were so united, in fact, that they shared everything they had. There were many who sold land and houses, and they brought the money to the apostles to give to those in need. But Ananias and Sapphira, they lied about their money that they earned from selling their property. They only brought some of the money they made, but they claimed it was the full amount. And the apostle Peter called them out on it. He said, hey, you're not lying to us. You're lying to God. And as soon as Ananias heard those words, he dropped dead right on the spot. And three hours later, his wife Sapphira comes in and the same thing happens to her. She drops dead too right there on the spot. And in Acts chapter 5, verse 11, the Bible says that great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. Now, in both examples, God chose to exact his punishment swiftly and decisively. Nadab and Abihu were struck dead immediately, as were Ananias and Sapphira. Didn't matter, Old Testament, New Testament, same result. And in both examples, it was their casual attitude toward God, their lack of the fear of the Lord that led them into sin that resulted in their deaths because casual Christians become Christian casualties. God is a holy God, and he is serious about sin. Serious enough that he sent his son Jesus to come and die for our sins. That's how serious he takes it. We often don't consider the consequences of sin. James tells us in James chapter 1, verse 22, that we're not to just listen to the word of God and so deceive ourselves. We're actually to do what it says. 
It's the fear of the Lord that produces obedience in our lives. So how do we fear the Lord in our everyday lives? We obey him. We obey him. How do you obey him? By knowing his word. I'm looking to my right here on this picture that's hanging on the wall. Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. It says, study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. You see, there it is. There's the key right there. The word of God is the answer. We've got to study it continually. Then we've got to obey it. That's how you fear the Lord. Now, let me just take the, uh, a few more minutes to go a bit deeper and get even more practical. I'm going to get more practical. The most practical way we can fear the Lord in our everyday lives and the most practical way we can learn to follow through on our obedience by doing what the word says is this right here. To honor God by tithing. To honor God by tithing. We've been blessed to be a church family for a year now and not one time have I ever mentioned tithing from this podium. It can be a very sensitive subject to talk about money, but there is no subject that's off limits to God. And the fact of the matter is this. If the Bible mentions a subject, I have an obligation to mention that subject too. I'm held accountable, doubly accountable, for every word that I utter from this podium. And I'm called to preach the whole counsel of God. Now, I'm, I have to admit, I'm very disappointed in how much this subject, this subject of money and of tithing, has been used and abused in the church for years. I really am. But there is no way I can teach on the fear of the Lord and not mention it. There's no way. Let's look at this together in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 22 through 23. It says, You must set aside a tithe of your crops, one-tenth of all your crops. See, tithe literally means a tenth. That's what it means. You must set aside a tithe of your crops, one-tenth of all the crops you harvest each year. Bring this tithe to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored, and eat it there in his presence. This applies to your tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil, and the firstborn males of your flocks and herds. Doing this will teach you always to fear the Lord your God. It's this last part of this verse that I really want to drive home. Doing this will teach you always to fear the Lord your God. Tithing is where we learn to fear the Lord. Nothing competes with God more for our time and our attention than money. Think about that for a minute. Think about how much this world is driven by money. There is nothing that competes more with God in this world than money. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil and that we cannot serve two masters. We'll either hate the one and love the other or we'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. We cannot serve both God and money. Now, I want to transition to something I was not prepared in my notes to even talk about. I'm just going to jump over to Malachi chapter 3 because this is how serious this subject is. In Malachi chapter 3, God says that when you're not tithing, you're actually stealing from him. 
you're robbing from him. That's what's going on. And, I mean, the fact of the matter is, everything belongs to him anyway. We're just stewards of what we've been given. So what we, when we tithe, we're in effect giving back to him what already belongs to him. But if you read in Malachi chapter 3, and I encourage you to do that, go study that. It's, it's really eye-opening when you read that. And he goes on to say, to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Now, storehouse represents your local church. That's what that would mean today. And he says, test me now in this. Test me now in this, he says. It's the only place in the Bible where God offers a fleece like that to test him. Try it. It's what he's saying. Try me. See if I won't prove it to you. The verse goes on. It says, test me now in this. See if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you won't even have room to receive it. I mean, that ought to blow your mind right there. So much blessing, you won't even have room to receive it. This is not what the prosperity gospel preachers would say. This is not like you're going to give your money so that then he can bring it back and dump a whole truckload of money back to you. No. Now, he can. More than likely, he's not, but he can do that. He blesses us in so many ways beyond just monetarily. So we can't get so focused on, okay, I'm going to give so that I can receive. No. We give because we want to obey and because we honor him and because we put him first. Now, what's even more important than any of what I've covered so far is it says, right after that, it says that he will rebuke the devourer for our sakes. Now, how many of you want the devourer rebuked? I do. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says that watch out for our great enemy. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for who he can devour. He's the devourer, and he can be rebuked by when we tithe and we put God first. Are you connecting that back to Malachi chapter 3? I could go on. Tithing is an incredibly important subject. It really is. It's, it's the meat. This isn't spiritual milk. This is, this is meat right here. This is, this is life. I mean, the word of God is true. Listen, when we tithe, we are showing who we fear and who we serve. Now, there's a lot more I could say. There's a lot more I could say on this subject. I don't have time, and that's not the message today. It's not about the tithe. <laughs> but I will say this. I know that there are some of you who will say that the tithe is not for us today. We're no longer under the law. And my reply to that kind of thinking is this. The tithe is not a law. It started before the law, and it transcends the law. This is one of the, the first misconceptions that folks have about the tithe. Ah, that's Old Testament, and we're not under the law anymore that Jesus came. Listen, the tithe started long before the law was given. We see this in Genesis chapter 14, where Abraham gave the high priest Melchizedek a tithe. We see Jesus acknowledge the tithe in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 23, where he told the Pharisees they should tithe but not to neglect more important things like justice, mercy, and faith. So the tithe transcends the law. It was before the law, and it came after the law. The tithe is actually a relational principle in which we have an opportunity to put God first above everything in our lives and recognize His Lordship and our dependence on Him. 
Tithing is a process where we put God on the throne of our hearts. Every time we get paid, we have an opportunity to worship God and show Him that we fear Him by tithing. Tithing helps remind us to put God first in our lives, which is right where He belongs. And when we do this, it will teach us always to fear the Lord our God. And the fear of the Lord is what this world desperately needs now more than ever. So, are you living in the fear of the Lord? Are you obeying what His Word commands? To fear the Lord is to obey the Lord. It's reverence that results in obedience. Now, maybe you're here today, and you recognize that you're not living in the fear of the Lord. You're living your life casually, which is a very dangerous place to be. But I have some good news for you. There is nothing in your life that the blood of Jesus cannot cover. There is nothing in your life that God cannot redeem you from. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you can have a clean slate. Today is the day that you can walk out of here in freedom. God loved you so much that he sent his one and only son for you to die for you, for your sins on the cross. The blood that he shed on the cross was the payment for every sin that we would ever commit. And let me tell you this, it was more than sufficient for you. But to receive this will take humility on your part. You will need to humble yourself. Because in order to be forgiven, you must first believe in who Jesus is and what he did for you on the cross. Who is Jesus? He is the Son of God. He is the promised Messiah. He is the Savior who came into this world went to the cross, died on the cross, shed his blood for you and for your sins, making full restitution. The Bible calls it the perpetuation for your sins. It was his blood that did that so that you could have life. He died so that you could live. You got to believe that. Now, next, you simply need to confess your sins to him. You've got to confess. And once you've done that, his word promises that he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's the promise of 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Man, if we would just all believe the word of God, believe the promises that are right there, that's what it takes to be cleansed from your sins. And Jesus is waiting on you right now to come to him. His word says to come to him. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Whatever has you in bondage right now, whatever is oppressing you, whatever is discouraging you, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. If you're lacking in the fear of the Lord, then ask him to teach you and to give it to you. And he will. Now, I know there may be some of you today that are like, wow, Ian, you talked a lot about obedience. That sure does sound a little legalistic, doesn't it? (laughs) I'm telling you, you can't live this life for God rightly and not obey Him. His holiness demands it. We've got all we need right here in the Word of God. And the fact of the matter is, 
it's not so much about rules and following all these things that are written in here as, as, as it is about a relationship. God wants a relationship with you. And when you have a relationship with him, you're going to grow to love him because the more you know him, the more you're going to love him. And the more you love him, the more you're going to want to obey him. The more you're going to want to please him because you're not going to want to displease him. See, that's the difference. As you start walking with him and you have this relationship with him, then it starts becoming this, this idea of, I no longer have to, I want to. So it's not I have to obey, it's I want to obey. You see, that's the change that happens through the relationship. And Jesus made this really simple. He said the whole law is summed up in this. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. You see, following God, obeying him, all stems from loving God first and then people. So love God, love people. That's how you obey. Think about that. If the world would just love God and love people, how much different this world would be? All the things that would be absent, all the evil that would be eradicated if you saw that. Now, I had an opportunity on Saturday to get away and be with just the Lord for a few hours. And what kind of caused me to do that is, is we had our discipleship um, Tuesday meeting for book two. It was lesson 10. And that lesson was all about extended time with God, spending time with him. And we all need to hear this. We all live such busy lives. We're running around doing all kinds of things. But I was like, I, I, I need to do this. I need to spend time with him. And I just left the house early in the morning took my Bible, uh, rode over to Menard Park, sat down on a picnic bench. There was no one around. It was just me, the Lord, the Word of God. I just prayed, read scriptures, prayed some more, listened, walked around. Listening's hard. It's a skill. Um, but man, it was so very good. I just want to encourage you to make time for him. And you know, as I was reading the lesson 10 in our discipleship, it was talking about things that could help you in your extended time with the Lord. And one of those things is just praising God. Not necessarily asking for anything, but just praising Him for who He is. And the suggested reading was to read Psalm 103, Psalm 111, and Psalm 145. Here's what's cool. I read those psalms, and you know what? Every single one of them had the fear of the Lord in there. Every single one of them. It was the common thread through all three of them. I didn't plan that. That just happened. And here we've been studying the fear of the Lord now for the last, what, four weeks, if we count Father's Day as the bonus in there. That's amazing. And I don't have time to share with you all that I read, but I do want to share Psalm 103 because I think it's worth reading. We all need to hear the Word of God. There's such an epidemic for... Uh, for the word today. It's just a, that people are starving because they're not feasting on the word. And here's what David said in Psalm 103. He said, Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Are you praising the Lord with all that you are? You know, David was known as a man after God's own heart. Are you praising him with all that you are? We should be. 
He continues, let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. Do you hear that? Do you hear how inclusive that is? All my sins, all of them. That's amazing right there. That means there's nothing too great that the blood of Jesus cannot cover. He forgives them all. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. He reveals his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. Are you hearing these words? Man, he will not constantly accuse us, nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. Oh, thank God he doesn't deal with us as we deserve, because let's face it, we all deserve death. Our sin causes us to to deserve death. And yet he doesn't punish us for all the sins that we've committed. That's what it's saying here. Verse verse 10, I need my glasses, goodness. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. Thank you, Lord. Verse 11, for his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. There's the first fear right there that you see in Psalm 103. There's three of them, by the way. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. Aren't you glad that he removes our sin that far? Because I can't even quantify how far the east is from the west. And that's the point. That's the point right there. That's how far it is. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him there's the second one he's tender and compassionate to those who fear him for he knows how weak we are he remembers we are only dust our days on earth are like grass like wildflowers we bloom and die the wind blows and we are gone as though we had never been here verse 17 but the love of the lord remains forever for those who fear him The love of the Lord remains forever for those who fear him. His salvation extends to the children's children of those who are faithful to his covenant and those who obey his commandments. You see, there it is. Obedience is linked to faith. Faith linked to fear. They're all linked together here. Verse 17 and 18. That's good. Continuing in verse 19. The Lord has made the heavens his throne. From there, he rules over everything. Praise the Lord, you angels, you mighty ones who carry out his plans, listening for each of his commands. Yes, praise the Lord, you armies of angels who serve him and do his will. Praise the Lord, everything he has created, everything in all his kingdom. Let all that I am praise the Lord. Isn't that awesome? That's just one of Psalm that I read. And I wanted to share that with all of you. This has been quite a journey going through the fear of the Lord. And today was all about the how. And I hope that uh, 
you'll begin to see the fear of the Lord in your life because it's the only way for us to truly live. And it's all about our obedience. His word says it. If you love me, you'll obey me. <laughs> That's pretty clear. You read that in 1 John. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the truth. It's not always comfortable to hear, but it's still the truth nonetheless. This world is starving for the truth. Father, give us the passion to get out there to preach the word of God, to share the truth with people in love. And may the fear of the Lord be what drives us uh, in this life. May we all live in the fear of the Lord as, we're, as we should. I thank you, Father, that uh, you've given us all that we need to live in this life. Thank you for your precious word. Your word is truth, absolute truth. I thank you, Father, that we can find forgiveness in you. We can find hope in you. You are a merciful God. You're a loving God. You are full of grace, but you're also a holy God. Teach us, Lord, to know you fully. We know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and I pray for greater wisdom. I pray, Lord God, for your blessing over this church over each and every person in here. And I pray, Father, that you'd encourage us not to just go to church, but to actually be the church. I just imagine, Lord, if your church actually started to fear you the way your word says, what kind of a church we would actually be, how we would thrive like the early church did. Lord, I love you. I thank you so much. I pray your blessing over each and every person here. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.